Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. No, I just wanted to do that. I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> so, um, you have no idea what it's like being a sound guy. You don't. He was worried too. Um, um, yeah. Welcome this morning. Um, um, especially if you're a visitor, and if you're a visitor, as sort of Lois pointed out, normally we have paid professionals doing this. But this morning you've got uh, the reluctant rookie. And <laughs> um, and Greg said, Greg rang me up before he put me on the roster and said, "Are you okay to preach on Father's Day?" And I, oh yeah. And uh, and then the other week he said, "Oh, surprised how quickly you answered yes to that." I said, well, if I actually had a thought about it, oh, would have been a different answer. Um, yeah, so well done for coming here today, fathers. Um, it's not a particularly easy role sometimes, and uh, I know the wives are probably saying, what well, all they had to do was get up and come. They had breakfast in bed. And okay. So it really was broken. Um And men in general, I guess fathers specifically, men in general, we're looked at as, you know, sort of having the places of power in our demographic. Um, you know, I think 90% of corporate boards are filled with men. 60 to 70% of governments filled with men. So we have positions of power. And, you know, I heard some feminists on Q&A a couple of months ago really rattling on about how, how good men have got it but they did mention actually that we also have the majority of positions of all the really bad jobs as well I haven't yet met a female garbage collector or a sewage worker we actually have a, um, a lower life expectancy than women by about five years we're three times as more likely to commit suicide and it's actually my demographic sort of the big the, the 40 to 50-year-old males are the, the highest in that group again. So for all that, well done for getting here. And uh, even, you know, even Father's Day, I don't know if you realise this, but Father's Day as a celebration was really an afterthought. Mother's Day actually came about at the end of the Civil War in the US and Father's Day really... Um, they didn't even talk about it till after the, the Second World War and that was pretty much because of uh, retail rather than, rather than thinking that dads had anything to offer. But here's some statistics. And unfortunately, these aren't Australian. These are US statistics, but they're fairly recent. Children from a fatherless home are five times more likely to commit suicide, 32 times more likely to run away, 20 times more likely to have behavioural disorders, 14 times more likely to commit rape, nine times more likely to drop out of school, ten times more likely to abuse drugs, nine times more likely... Can you have drugs without abusing them? I don't know. Uh, nine times more likely to end up in state-operated institutions and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. 
So fathers, you're important. In fact, uh, there's a, a Christian university in the States that did a study recently. And they did six different tests to measure fathers' positive or negative influences upon uh, teenagers' spirituality. And they found that in every test, the father's role as a teacher came out to be the most important predictor of a teenager's spiritual health. You're important. So teach them. Display commitment to Christ in your own life. Take care of your own spiritual well-being. Keep a strong prayer life. Be bold in talking about issues of faith and display genuineness and emotional closeness. You're important. Now, God chose Abraham over all other men to birth a nation. And actually in Genesis um, chapter 18, it tells us why. For I have chosen him, this is God speaking, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So I don't want to have this just to be the focus of men. I realise that 50% of you are women. But you must understand, and I'm, I don't know whether many of you have seen that video on YouTube about um, men's brains versus women's brains, but if you haven't, Google it. It's really quite clever. But we, can, we say things... You might misinterpret what we say. So I looked up... My brother and I can have a conversation with one single words. So he'll send me a photo of a fish. I'll say, nice. He'll tell, give me the size. I'll say, where? He'll give me the place. So, but I found, the, I found this uh, male thesaurus. Men don't always say what they mean. So when a man says it would take too long to explain, what he means is, I have no idea how it works. When a man says, take a break, honey, you're working too hard, what he means is, I can't hear the TV over the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> when a man says, that's interesting, dear, he means, are you still talking? <laughs> and when a man says, uh, sure, honey, or yes, dear, he means absolutely nothing. That's just a conditional <laughs> response. We just say that. Uh, so, uh, this morning, we're actually going to look at the Bible, we're going to, um, and I'm glad sometimes when, when God's on the same page as us, or is it that we're on the same page as God, um, what Lois shared uh, with the offering word and, and that song, um, we're going to share out of um, Luke chapter 15, uh, it's the, the lost parables chapter, and it's not like, you know, lost city or anything, they were always there, it's just their parables about something being lost. Um, and specifically we want to share about um, uh, the lost son or the prodigal son. Actually before I wrote this message, I didn't even realise what prodigal meant, I thought it meant somebody that went away and then came back, but it actually, if you don't know, prodigal just means wasteful or excessive was the way he, that particular son lived his life or lived what he had taken. Um, so I think we'll read, 
We'll read the verses and then, and then I'd like to pray. Jesus is actually speaking here to a quite a broad audience. Um, he's speaking to both the sinners, the tax collectors, and also the Pharisees and the scribes and teachers of the law. And this is what he says. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a, a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's just pray. Father, we, we just thank you that regardless of our earthly fathers, we have you not only as a model of perfect fatherhood, but as a father to us. We thank you for your love, your reckless love, which chases after us. We thank you for your grace that covers over all our sin. We thank you that you love us and you desire to have relationship with us. Amen. So obviously here in this story, the Father is a metaphor for God. God our Father in heaven, who is perfect. I just found this almost as a revelation, yet this perfect Father who was prosperous, who was kind who was wise and loving, ended up with two kids who were very, in very different ways, were both dysfunctional and both rejected his love and consequently went off the rails. 
And if you take nothing else home today, I really want some of you fathers and you parents more generally to stop beating yourselves up about the choices your children are making or have made. It's okay. It's not you, it's them. It's not your fault. In this parable, the perfect father had two very imperfect sons. And if you think a little bit more broadly, we are all God's children and we all messed up. We've all messed up. God's perfect and yet we can't get it right. So we can't expect our kids to get it right all the time either. Those of you listen to Colin Buchanan would know Isaiah 53.6, but it says, you know, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us to his own way. But the, you, you haven't got the rhythm right. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yeah. So none of us get away from that. And, you know, it was only a few years ago that I recall um, after tea when it was dark in the car going around to people's houses trying to find which one my elder daughter was at. And I know from testimony from a number of you here, um, the trials you've had with kids going through, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up about it. As parents, we need to cut ourselves some slack. Now, God gave each of us a free will so that ultimately we could express genuine love toward him. Not pre-programmed, not conditional, not manipulated, but love as a natural response to getting to know him in the same way our children have been given free will none more so than when they're teenagers and I know I'm cutting it pretty tough but I was there I know what it's about in fact when we had little kids in fact maybe just two babies at the time Adele and I went to a parenting seminar we thought oh we'll do all this right we'll get it right and I remember the guy got up to speak and he talked about his neighbour who was actually a pastor. And his neighbour had three daughters and they were all perfectly behaved. So naturally his neighbour was quite happy to give advice about how to bring up children. And then sometime later, the neighbour had a fourth sort of unplanned child and he ran riot. He took over the neighbourhood and all of a sudden the advice disappeared from the pastor. And that's what it's like. You get dealt a hand and you just have to deal with it. Just remember, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus and certainly no self-condemnation. So we're going to talk about this story. And initially, when I, uh, I looked at it as a Father's Day story, I was just going to talk about the Father's heart. But as I read the story a few times, I really got captivated by the two sons. So somewhere I'm going to try and... Um, deal with all three characters. So firstly, the father. Regardless of the son's actions, there are at least three ways the father demonstrates his love for them. The first one is he let them go. I know we're talking about a father that chases after us. So it doesn't really necessarily sound like love. But notice he never gave up on his son. He never tried to manipulate him to stay. 
He never tried to imprison him or coerce him. He knew that ultimately the son was going to have to learn his own lesson. You know, some kids learn it easy, especially the younger ones. I think they they can look back at the watching the older ones get a beating or something, and they work out that's that's the that's the level, that's the limit. You can't push it past that. But some kids just do it hard. They learn hard. And I know in the job that I do, which I've sort of been doing for about 30 years now, and I was saying this to somebody the other day, the lessons that I remember are the ones that were hard learned. You know, when I've killed 5 million larvae that's worth $100,000, I don't make that mistake a second time. You just don't. And sometimes... You've got to let kids learn the hard way. I'm not up here, by the way, to give parenting advice. It sounds like that, but I'm not because you just got to try what works and what works for you and stick with that. But hard lessons learned are always remembered. The second way the father shows love is that he waits for a return. Importantly, he leaves the door open for a return. You know, it's easy in the height of passion and emotion to say things that we regret, but it's so important to leave a door open. You know, it's been my observation and experience that mothers are the prayers for their children overwhelmingly, but fathers are those that patiently wait for their return. And this father waits for return even from death back to life. So I'd suggest you don't give up on your kids. Don't give up waiting for your children to come home. Or more importantly, to come to their senses. As we saw in this this passage here, the son had to come to his senses, had to come to himself. Continue to pray. Continue to trust. Continue to keep the door open. And continue to wait. And the third, the third um, way the father shows love in this story is that he restores his child. But we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. So the youngest son, which is primarily what this passage was, seems to be about, he demands his share of the inheritance. Um, if we look back to the early verse, he says... Uh, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. In Jewish culture, that would have meant for a two-son family that he would have got about a third because the older son gets a double portion then every individual after that would get a portion. So the younger son would have got a third. But when's an inheritance due? right it's after death so the young younger son is basically saying to his father i'm not interested in whether you're dead or alive i'm not interested in you just give me what's mine and i looked up where it talks about the father divide his property the greek word for property is bios and it's the same word we get the word biology or life 
So it's not just give me your, a third of the savings that are in your bank. It's give me a third of your livelihood. How impetuous. How brash and selfish. How adolescent. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> the younger son's philosophy is happiness and contentment can be found in doing what I want. And essentially that's rebellion. The rebellious son asking for the inheritance while the father is still alive is like a person who says to himself, I don't need God. They think independently of God. And ultimately, they remove themselves from God's presence. Have you ever thought like that? I'd be surprised if you haven't. Because that's the philosophy of the world. As long as I'm not hurting anybody else, what I do to please me is just fine. It's my money, I'll spend it how I want. It's my life, I'll live it how I want. You know, independent thinking from God, which is rebellion, draws us away from God. If you look at that passage, it says, The younger one said to his father, Give me my share. That's the independent thinking. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got, to, son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, drawing away from God. Someone once said, If you own something when it's gone, you own nothing. Or alternatively, Whatever is mine is all I have is dangerous thinking. There's no security in hoarding material wealth and there's been plenty of people that, that have discovered that. When I was growing up, my father or my parents were um, very much working class. We drove a Valiant, well they did. I sat in the back seat. We had a small rented house we lived on lamb, which sounds exotic now, but in the 70s, that wasn't. Lamb chops was like cheap fodder. And then after the kids left home and my parents were getting on a bit, my mother's eldest sister died and left her, her entire estate, which was quite extensive. So they became wealthy overnight. And my father, I'll never forget this, my father said to me, when I had no money... I was never worried. But once I had it, he was always worried. Worried about whether, because um, part of the estate included um, uh, bonds and, and investments and he was worried about the investments making money and he was worried that he, he wouldn't squander any of the wealth that it had been given him. But it's something to consider. Once you learn to live on, on a little, there aren't a lot of cares in the world. The younger son leaves an ocean of love, of protection, of provision to take his bucket of water to a far-off land where he splashes it around for a while until it's gone. You know, I heard someone say he left the source, God, the source of everything. The se second thing about 
being drawn away from God is that absence from God leaves us spiritually empty. Jeremiah said this, Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And it was the same thing with this son. He left the source, he left the ocean, and then discovered that all he had had run out. Isaiah says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest fare. Now this son would have gladly eaten the, the pods that the pigs were feeding. And the amplified version of this says, but they could not satisfy his hunger. No matter what we dabble in in the world, it will never satisfy your hunger. The world does not satisfy. The longer you live in it, the more you realise that, it takes time sometimes. The more we struggle to satisfy ourselves, is the third point, the more degraded our position becomes. A little bit won't suffice. I'm going to try for something a bit harder. I'm going to try for something a bit, bit more different. It never satisfies. In the same way that the sun ended up down in the bottom of the pig pen, which for a Jewish a young Jewish man, that would have been the most degrading position to be in with um, the unclean animals. And you mightn't have perceived it at the start. You know, as, as, as people living in the world, you might perceive that your position is degraded. You might be like the church of Laodicea in Revelation where they think that um, they're rich and have acquired wealth and then Jesus comes to them and says, you don't realise that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, poor and blind and naked. Rich in worldly wealth, but spiritually, poor spiritually. So even though we're talking about um, the father being the one that will run and chase after us, in this story the father doesn't chase after the son. Why is that? It was the son that left. The father didn't kick him out. It was the son that left. So he needed to wait until the son had come to his senses. And you know, we all need to come to our senses. If you're impoverished in a distant country, there's no point in asking somebody else from that country to help you. They're in as much trouble as you. Remember, the famine is through the whole land. You need to talk to yourself. We need to talk to ourselves. And I don't think this is a one-off thing. I think this is something that happens, needs to happen regularly. We need to keep checking ourselves. Are we doing what God wants me to do? Am I where God wants me to be? God's waiting for us to come to that realisation that we're in a pig pen and we're starving. And all we need to do is know the direction home. 
And it's interesting in this story, circumstances have the power to change our posture. When things are going fine, sometimes our posture can be standoffish, can be um, quite independent, but circumstances change. You know, the distant country mentioned here was never measured by distance. Anywhere where a person is away from God, forgetful of God, or not in fellowship with God, your life's in a distant country. And you don't belong there. That's why you can't be fulfilled. And the distant country has many roads. In this story, there, there are at least two roads for the two sons. The younger son took the road of rebellion. And that led to unrighteousness. The older son, which we'll read about in a minute, took the road of religiousness. And that led to self-righteousness. But both take you to a distant land. The distant country is a land of poverty. There's famine. You can't be fulfilled. And it's costly to be in it. It costs both sons fellowship with the father. It costs both sons freedom, which is ironic because they were both seeking freedom. One son wanted freedom from, from his father's house. It cost him everything. The younger son spent it all. The older son never enjoyed what he had. And I guess fourthly, the distant country is a land of deception. See, if you have to come to yourself to realise where you're at, then you're being deceived. And that's what sin is. Sin is deception. And the... Yeah. But there's hope. There is hope. That was very gloomy, wasn't it? There's hope. The return. The sun realises where he's at, he's, um, he realises, hang on a minute, my father's got it all. Why did I ever leave? I know what I'll do. I'm going to get up and I'm going to repent to him. And he, he, he gets a, a speech set up in his mind, ready to, ready to, um, to, to meet his father. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father interrupts him right there and says, it says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. 
And I love that the father saw him a long way off. It meant he was looking out for him. He was just looking for that change in posture, that positioning towards him. That's all he was after. And then he was on his way. And it says he was filled with compassion. I'm not even going to try and pronounce the Greek for that, but I think Greg mentioned a couple of weeks ago it means to have the bowels yearn. It was something deep, deep inside his guts. Deep inner feelings of compassion and tenderness towards his boy. And he ran. And even the act of running for a, a man of his status where he would have had to lift his robes up over his knees and, and, and run it, he wasn't interested in what people were thinking. He was interested in his son. Like we are singing about this morning, God's reckless love for us when we repent. And he kissed him and put on the best robe. And the robe was a sign of honour. Put the robe on him. Put the robe that befits the father's house. The robe is a response to the son that said, I have sinned. And then put a ring on his finger. The ring was a sign of relationship, of, of sonship, of authority. It was like the Jewish credit card of the time. If you had the signet ring, you could go and put something on the family's account. It was like if you had the ring, you'd have the power of attorney. The ring was response to I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Put sandals on his feet. You know, the slaves were never permitted to wear shoes. The badge of slavery was the absence of sandals. Sandals are the response to make me one of your hired servants. He wasn't interested in his son becoming his hired servant. His son was his son. John 1.12 says something like, for as many as received him, to them he gave the right, or the King James Version says, the power to be called children of God. And as soon as we receive Jesus, we're all his children. We're all his sons. We're all his daughters. And he said, and then finally he celebrated with a feast. And Max Licato said, the difference between mercy and grace, mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. Grace gave him a feast. But the other son was just as bad. In fact, the other son was in a worse state because he didn't realise his wretchedness. He humiliates his father. Look. Look. All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat. But when this son of yours, not his brother, squandered your property with prostitutes, I never saw any mention of prostitutes in here, you killed a fattened calf for him. His whole attitude shows his years of obedience to his father had been years of duty, not loving service. And the his philosophy is, I did this for you, now you owe me. Maybe the second son. 
Maybe you're saying, I've been in church all my life. I pray, I read my Bible. All I wanted was that job, that partner, that car. You didn't give it to me. Or maybe you said, I pray, I read my Bible, and you get a letter from the test results from the doctor and they're not good. God, look what I've done for you. The older son is absolutely indignant with his father and his brother. His anger and judgment cause relational separation and distorted reality. You know, it was the sins of the flesh that overwhelmed the younger son, gluttony and lust and slothfulness. But it was the sins of the spirit that overwhelmed the older brother. Pride, covetousness, envy. Both sons revolted. Each one of his own ways. So which are you? Which am I? I've been both. Are you the younger child who wants to get away from under authority and live your life your own way? Or are you the older child who's doing everything out of service and rejecting the love of the father that's been, father that's been freely offered? Either way, the Father is waiting patiently for us to come back. His reckless love is waiting to restore, bless and celebrate you. And I don't know about you, but don't waste the opportunity. The image that is shown of the way God wants to extend his love to you is just phenomenal in this story. If your posture is changing and you're heading back to him, run to him because he's running to you. I just want to close with it's probably my favourite psalm, just a part of it. And I'm just reading a few verses on either side of when um, the psalmist actually enters God's presence. So there's a before moment and an after. So it's Psalm, part of Psalm 73 it says, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw their pros- the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. And then he enters God's presence. And after he's in God's presence, he says this. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Yes. 
Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.